Welcome to the Little Tots Big Talks podcast. I am your host, Ryan. I am a therapist, a father, and a coach and guide for parents who are trying to learn another way of parenting than what maybe we were raised or taught. This is the show where we can talk about all things parenting, from potty training to tantrums to anxiety. You name it, we'll talk about it. Sometimes you'll just hear me, and other times we'll have guests come on the show who will help us go deeper into the issues. Let's get started. On today's episode, I am super excited to have one of the very first people who I ever found and followed on TikTok. Kayla O'Neill is a developmental therapist, and through her content, she gives a wide range of advice, helping parents with things such as talking and walking, all the way to potty training. Her advice and suggestions have helped me with my own little one, and I am very excited to introduce her to all of you. All right, Kayla, thanks so much for joining the episode. So happy to have you here. Awesome, I'm so happy to be here. So for people who don't know, you are a developmental therapist, yes? Yes. Could you kind of fill in, like, what does that mean? What is that title? Yeah, sure. So in the state of Indiana, I'm called a developmental therapist. It's called something different in every state. This is the third state I've worked in. So people get really confused when I say developmental therapist or when I worked in Minnesota, I was just called an early childhood special ed teacher. When I worked in North Dakota, I was called a early interventionist, but it's all the same job. I work with kids from birth to age three that qualify for early intervention. That's the Part C federal state program. And what I do is typically I go into the home and work with parents. And right now during COVID, now I've been doing business all virtually. But yeah, that's what I've been doing for about 10 years now is it's almost more of a parent coaching model. Yeah. So you go into homes and you help parents, I guess, Yes. help them with, with what? So I've watched your TikToks and I've read your Instagram stuff. And also you have a big blog, which just has tons and tons and tons yeah. of information that I dug through before we even started this. <laughs> so it looks like you cover a lot of different subjects. Yeah. So my background is actually early childhood special education. That's what I've got my degree in and education as well. So what I do as a therapist or what I help kids with is we create a plan called an IFSP to begin with. And so that's an individual family service plan. Once again, that's part of the special education program. And how we get that is we do a evaluation or assessment first on the child. And then that's where we're able to see where they need that extra help. So different areas that we work with would be motor development, language development, social, emotional development, cognitive development, and adaptive and self-help skills as well. So wherever there's a need, that's where we come in and support the parent. And the great part about that assessment or evaluation, which is all very play-based, we get to find out what the children are really good at and what their interests are and things like that. So that's a really important part of it too, is figuring out what kids are interested in, what's important to the family. It's called, a, yeah. like, it's different from in the school system where when we look at that part B and it's an IEP, the I. FSP is a family-focused plan. So we work with what's helpful for the family. Right. I think, and I love something that you said there, which is we can look at the strengths too. Mm -hmm. Because I think historically, we've always had this medical model where it's, let's find the problems, let's fix the problems, and let's just focus on that. But as we even are learning in parenting work, it's, 
we need to start focusing on the things that we want to see, not just the things that we don't want to see. And how do you feel that like parents receive that? Does that feel like it feels better as you're starting to focus on that and you're able to build those strengths? Yeah, I think so. I think even coming in, when we're looking at the kids I'm working with, it's birth to age three. So I, I get a lot of babies and sometimes we're referred medically. Sometimes we have kids that are, are born with different conditions. And so a lot of times there's a lot going on to begin with. And being able to pull out the things that the kids are doing that are really great because every kid has the stuff that they're good at or things that they're interested at. So I do, I think that's really helpful. And with the kind of the more parent coaching model that I do, it's also finding what the parents are really good at too, because sometimes parents, and especially this is what I love about TikTok is these parents, these wonderful parents put videos up of things that they're doing with their child and they don't realize how great of things that they're doing. They didn't realize, oh, like I just posted one yesterday of a dad who he was singing old McDonald with the son and he paused and the child filled in the blank. And it's like, whoa, that's a strategy that I use all the time. I teach parents because sometimes it's the little things that we're doing that actually support development even more than those really big things that sometimes people are searching for. It's these little things. So it's like, I love TikTok as just somebody to to observe. That's part of my job is observing parents in their natural state. So I'm like, this is amazing. I can point out what the great things these parents are doing. And then other parents chime in and they go, oh, I do that. My kid loves it when I do that. I didn't know that this was a way to encourage that social emotional connection, to encourage language development, you know? And so it's just so cool. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't see that you did a duet on that video. I saw the original and I loved it because I got tagged a couple times in it, but as parents, I think sometimes we forget that sometimes these super simple things can have such great results. Even in my therapy office, I play games and, and parents look at them and they're like, yeah, I played that when I was like three. And I'm like, let's like pick up sticks and connect four. And my mind blanked on another old school game that I kind of play. But these games that just develop so many great skills and just yeah. like that singing that song that, because I think yeah. it was E-I-E-I-O is what they ended up singing. It really helps build these skills that just can really just translate later on in their life. Yeah. I think parenting gets overcomplicated a lot because we want something to do with our kids. We want them to be entertained all the time. And we want the quick fix for things too. And I'm sure you yeah. get that too. It's like, well, what can right. I do to, to do this? And it's like, okay, well, you know, it's not necessarily a big thing. Sometimes it's really little things. And I think... Yeah, that's one of the great parts of my job is a lot of time it's just observing and pulling out what the parents are doing in a great way and saying, hey, do more of this. This is awesome, you know? So that's really, really fun. Absolutely. I think it's great just seeing these strengths and, and helping parents sometimes even realize, hey, what you're doing is working. It's wonderful. Keep that up. And I think, again, when we get stuck in that medical model, we kind of lose that. Yeah. It was something I was really wanted to cover today. And I'm glad you said it, that overcomplication of parenting. And again, I was doing lots of research as I was getting ready to do this. And I went like on answer the public. And then I started looking at a bunch of questions parents have around toddlers. And then, you know, I have my own on the way and I've been doing a lot of my own research and I start seeing how there's just so much information out there. And some of it is just very different and not just slightly different, like opposite sides of the spectrum different. How do you kind of help parents 
see that and find what works and what doesn't when there are just so many wide ranges of opinions out there? Yeah. So I feel like you're exactly right. There's so many things. And that's why in my personal, as a parent and helping parents, I'm not like do everything one way kind of person. I'm very much a person that if I see something I like, I pull that and use it and I try it. You know, you'll see a lot of different people and and that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, maybe that's my personal style. There's just not a one size fits all to parenting. And if there was, somebody would have written that perfect book and it would be out. And that's the one we recommend. But instead, there's about five to 10 books. And maybe I don't agree with everything in the book, but I'll pull things from different places because parenting is not only about strategies, it's also about how we are as a parent, our own temperaments and the child's temperament too. And I think Being that I've been doing this for 10 years and I go into the home and so I get to know parents really on a very personal basis. I get to see different home environments. I get to see all different types of kids and it becomes so clear that we can only do so much, but that temperament's going to be part of it. Our personal history is going to be part of it. And so finding something, even between my two kids, some strategies will work well for my daughter, some that don't work with my son. (laughs) There are things my son does that my daughter would never do. (laughs) So it's like, it's interesting when you take that temperament part. And that's why I'm very much somebody that I don't recommend just one book, or I would love to do that and make life easier. But I think pulling from the different things out there, and there's so many great resources, instead of just getting stuck, like I'm only going to do something one way. I hear you. And I love that you said that, because I think that's one of the things that parents need to hear is it's not a one size fits all. Because I think if there was, we'd all be out of jobs. We just wouldn't work, which would honestly be a good thing. I I would be okay (laughs) if if kids didn't have any of these issues anymore. We could just all move on and find out something else. But it's not that way because people are really complicated and kids are complicated. And there's so many different issues. Like I was reading one of your blogs about toddlers and biting. And one of them said, is it sensory based? Are they teething? Is it behavioral? Is it anger? And they don't have a better way to express. And it's like all these little things, each one could be true or just one of them. And it's just really hard for. And to, it gets hard because it can change every time they bite yeah. too. It doesn't mean like just because they bit once because of a sensory reason, you know, or even I'll get, it's interesting to me. One of the most asked questions I get is, my baby's pulling my hair. What should I do? (laughs) And it's funny because I think sometimes we don't realize that a lot of it is just them interacting and trying to figure out their world. A baby's not going to pull your hair because they're trying to, because like, how do I get my baby to stop doing this? It's like, you just got to wear a ponytail. (laughs) Sorry. I wore a ponytail pretty much the first 18 months with both my kids and doing my work too. When I'm doing home business, my hair is back. I don't wear earrings because sometimes we need to just prevent things. They're too little to understand that pulling hair hurts. Pulling hair is interesting. They want to use their fine motor skills. And so with the eight month old baby that's pulling your hair, we just have to be preventive in that case. They're not doing it in any sort of bad way. It's just out of interest, you know? So yeah, figuring out the core to those different behaviors. And then we so too want to label things as negative or positive. And even things like hitting, I did a post a while back with my kids playing in the forest. And the thing that they love to do the most is to hit sticks onto trees, hit sticks Uh on the ground. And so I talked about how sometimes when we're, 
hitting in other ways, it's actually because they just want to get this energy out. It can really be sensory or play-based or discovery, but people automatically think, okay, if somebody hits us, bad. They're doing something bad. And it's like, well, we got to figure out why they're doing it. We really got to figure out what that caused, that trigger. Could it just be play? Do they have extra energy? Do they need to get outside and run in the forest? (laughs) If you don't have a forest, you don't do something activity where we can get that physical movement in. Yeah. I love that. Cause yes, there's so many things and we think, Oh, that's automatically bad. And we need to get in there and swoop in and stop that behavior. But that's just kids learning how to be in their environment and explore. I see some posts about kids who are eating and they get their hands in the food and parents are like, no, they've got to use a spoon. And I'm like, no, they don't even have that developmental ability yet. And they're exploring this food. That's how they learn about it. And that's one of the ways we can get them to start eating in the future is playing with their food and letting them do that. And when you go and you talk to parents, if you see them and and their child is hitting or biting or whatnot, where do you kind of start with that? So I've definitely got a very much special education background. And so a lot of that is figuring out that data. We've got to find the data. That's what we do in special education is we find the, da- the data, data. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, I gotcha. <laughs> and so I think if you have a kid doing one of these behaviors, we really need to stop and pay attention to what happened right before it. What happened during it? What happened right afterwards? What time of day is it? Could they be hungry? Could they be tired? Keep a track of it. Keep that log sheet or notebook, write it down somewhere if you're seeing something really repetitive. So it's really looking at that behavior and figuring out what's the reason behind it. When I'm working with behaviors like that, usually we'll figure out what it was. And sometimes it's something we didn't expect, which is most of the time, you know, I think people automatically, like you said, with the hitting and biting and stuff, we automatically label that as aggressive. And we get really scared as parents because we're like, oh my goodness, my kid's aggressive. They're aggressive. What do I do? And it's scary for parents. And so then when we say, okay, detach that, you know, aggressiveness to it. It's not necessarily aggressive. I can hit a baseball with a baseball bat. No one's going to tell me I'm aggressive. I'm skilled, (laughs) you know? So change your way of thinking and just look at it as a basic behavior versus good or bad. I think that's really helpful place to start because I think it causes a lot of worry in parents when our kids do stuff that we label as good and bad, not to say there maybe isn't a place or time to label things or I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. (laughs) No, I mean, there's so many gems there. It's like, I want to cover all of them. And I'm I'm like, where do we start? I just noticed in myself that as I heard you talking about that, I I noticed sometimes parents are like, my child is doing this. And does that mean that they're going to be a serial killer or are they going to be, is this pathological? And there's this just fear that what's going to happen to my child or what are they going to become? And then they see they're hitting a tree or they're acting out something with their little toys. And they're like, Oh, this isn't good. What do you say to those parents? (laughs) Okay. So I'm just going to tell you about something that happened yesterday at my house. And it's finally like the weather's getting nice. And both of my kids are very much into sensory play and water. Like they are obsessed with water in all forms. They want to play with ice. They want to play with water. They want to play with mud. And so we had the hose on. They wanted to have the hose on. They were going to water some plants. You know, we pretend to plant stuff. And then it's like, I went inside to grab something or do something. I came out and my son, his arms and legs were completely covered in mud, head toe. 
he had smeared mud all over the glass <laughs> like patio door and it's like I come out I'm like what are you doing like my response was completely wrong I'm just like what are you doing and it's like why did I even say that I know what he, he was doing <laughs> and I know that if I leave my kids with hoses and mud this is probably going to be the outcome that was on me I didn't set any rules any boundaries I didn't say the mud needs to stay on the ground we had a rain boots on but we also have like uh, little suits that you can put on that you can just throw in the washer which I didn't do I didn't do any of this stuff but yet I reacted in this way as like what are you doing you know what what happened <laughs> and so then I was like I took him in the back and you know I was like okay we're going to clean this up together. We can do this together and we're going to have to wash off with the hose outs. You know, we problem solved through how can we get into the house? How can we get cleaned up? How can we decide what to do and what's acceptable for next time? So we kind of problem solved through it a little bit together. Like, okay, we actually have like a lock on our hose. So I'm like, okay, we need to just be supervised out there. I'm learning about this too. And I let him know it's not a good idea to put mud all over the glass unless you want to clean it and it was funny because right away he's like i put the mud on so fast i can clean it up that fast too oh cool i love it <laughs> and, yeah and so it's like okay but when you walk out as a parent and you're trying to get dinner and stuff it's hard to to stop and think like okay he's just playing he's not trying to make anyone angry he's not trying to deface property <laughs> he's like exploring he's a sensory kid i know that about him <laughs> He's playing in the mud, you know, and it's, yeah. it's easy as a parent to, it's been a long day or you're hungry or whatever, and to just stop and react in the wrong way. And you had just talked about this yesterday on TikTok about how we're going to make mistakes and to stop. And that's what we did. It's like, I realized, okay, I shouldn't have, you know, what happened out here? I should have just calmly said, hey, what's going on out here? Get some information and then problem solve the situation together. How can yeah. we clean this up together? What should we do next time and figure right. it out versus just reacting and taking that moment to not just react, but think through things a little bit. Yeah. I love that story so much. That's awesome. And I know you commented on that post and I'm wondering, was that the story that you were talking yes, about? That's okay. the exact story. Yes. I was like, wow, I literally just did this like an hour ago. <laughs> and I do this multiple times a day where it's like, yes. where parents were making mistakes all of the time. You know, yeah. nobody's perfect. We're supposed to make mistakes because yeah. we're all still learning this and mm-hmm. parenting is really hard. It's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> because you're constantly being putting in these little situations where you have to check your own feelings and be like, all right, look at what I'm experiencing here. And then how much do I need to put on this little who in this case is like, I'm just playing with this mud and just having fun. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And it sounds like a really cool (laughs) idea unless you think about having to clean it up. Yeah. And it was fine. We got it cleaned up. It was, it was all good. You know? Yeah. But I think circling that back a little bit, you were talking about when we talk to parents, we say the antecedent, which is that what happened right before the behavior and then what's going on in that moment and then what happens after. But even going further back is how did I play a role? Like, could I have done something differently here? Should I have been watching them as they're cleaning up this mud (laughs) (laughs) or playing with the mud? And looking at that and understanding it's not personal, which is one of the things I kind of heard you there say, because yeah. I don't think it is. It's just kids exploring their environment yeah. and seeing what it's like. It's fun. It, yeah. it looked like fun. You know? I mean, <laughs> they were just having fun. And a lot of the time that is. And I think that's the important part of 
learning about child development or just having a little bit of understanding is I think, and I don't know where this came from, but our expectations of kids are really high and yeah. mine too. Sometimes I really have to check my own expectations. Am I expecting too much? Is this developmentally appropriate for me to let my kids have a hose and then not expect them to get mud all over? No, that was really not on my part. I didn't do a good job with my expectations of them. And so checking, is this a developmentally appropriate thing for them to be doing? Or is my expecting too much? Am I expecting them to like refrain themselves from having a mud party? But it's interesting because like my daughter is out there too and she's perfectly clean and she didn't barely touch it. But my son is just, that's the difference between the two. (laughs) Like he's covered head to toe. She's just off doing her own thing. And yeah. Yeah. It just goes more into that. Some, some kids you can leave out there with the hose and some it's absolutely not. (laughs) And I know that about him and my daughter is, she's not, not into the messy play. Like he has always been, he's always loved it. He's always loved all things sensory, sensory teaching child. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) How do you think like expectations? I hear that a lot. And I think it kind of tags into something else I was wanting to bring up is that those should statements about ourselves as parents, like I should have done this or I should have done that or putting those shoulds onto our kids. They should be here. They should be there. For example, in preschool world, it's my child isn't writing their name yet. Oh no. What are we going to do? Or they can't count to 10 yet. Uh Oh. And for those parents, I usually say, let's focus on play and social skills and that stuff will come. But how do we manage that experience? expectation the same thing happens with babies i'm like Mm -hmm. yeah they should be walking by what nine to 15 months but what happens if it's 16 months yeah no definitely great point and i feel like there again there's so much comparing people compare their own kids and that's a dangerous thing especially when you're pairing siblings because they're usually two completely different kids and i always tell parents like if you know you feel like something's not right just talk to early intervention. It's available in all 50 states. Evaluation is completely free in all 50 states or screening. Because if you call us and you say, hey, you know, they're 16 months old and they're not walking yet. I'm a little concerned. We can't just go off of that one thing of not walking because we have to look at the whole picture of the kid. There's lots of things that go into walking. There's lots of things that happen before walking. There's lots of things that go into balance and coordination. So just that one milestone, we can't look at just one milestone. We need more information. And that's where things like early childhood screenings and evaluations are super, super important Mm -hmm. because I've also had parents that have been really concerned and have had their concerns ignored too by certain professionals and they've had significant conditions and they'll come to us and it's like, wait, you were telling them and and nobody listened to you. So I feel like connecting with early intervention, if you have a gut feeling, if you just have a question, it's not going to hurt. Screening a child takes 15 minutes for a baby or toddler. It really doesn't take long. Evaluation maybe takes an hour spread across two days or an hour, depending on what you're doing. So it's a couple hours of your life. And that will answer that question that should, because milestones, there is a huge range of normal in each area of development. And we know we break that down, we look at it. And it's the same thing with language development. That's the one I get asked about the most is my child has X many words. Is that okay? And it's, I can't answer that question because I don't know. I need more information. I need to know what sounds they're making. I need to know, can they imitate actions? Can they imitate? Like there's just, it's a huge picture. So I always tell parents, don't 
I mean, you want to be aware of milestones. I think you should be aware, but we can't diagnose until we have a whole picture diagnoser, yeah. you know, right. and that's tricky because I don't want to parents to ignore red flags or development, but I also want you to become so obsessed that, okay, my baby is, you know, and a lot of times the milestones that people they're not getting great information of when children should be doing things. Like I'll have parents that'll be like, my, my child's six months old and they're not crawling yet. And I'm like, yeah, that's okay. They're not supposed to crawl like till seven to nine months. <laughs> so I think it, it's good to be aware because that will ease your anxiety. And there's some really good websites out there like pathways.org where it's really great information. They have videos on different things. And so using resources like that as something to educate yourself about them, yeah. but not to become too obsessed. <laughs> that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I was going to ask you, like if a parent has a one or a two-year-old and they're concerned, is it the same website that they would go sign up for that? Or is it different by state? Yes. So, well, it's called something different in every state, but if parents have concerns from that birth to three age, you would type in part C early intervention, the name of your state, and then that would get you to the program because that gets confusing too. It's so it's different. Like in Indiana, we call it first steps. And Minnesota, we call it Help Me Grow. And so, yeah, well, an early head start is actually a different program. Yeah. So it gets really confusing. So I just tell people part C is the big indicator because you can also fall into different private companies doing free screenings and stuff. But if you want the state program, it's going to be under part C because nobody can do that except for the agencies that are aligned with the state. And so, Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So just more of that confusion stuff, but I think that helps if you just Google part C early intervention in your state, Ohio, then hopefully you'll start getting some resources. Yes. Cause I think it's really important that if you have that concern and it's there, go talk to a professional who can yeah. help give you that answer and let you know if, Hey, yeah, maybe there's something we need to do here or no, it's perfectly okay. You know, and the majority of the kids that I see are exited by the time they turn three and they don't need any services, you know, not all, but a lot of times that's the goal of early intervention is to actually prevent that need for services starting at age three to five. And then we go into school services. So sometimes helping early can really make a difference in the long run. Yeah. And when I worked in a preschool, a lot of times I would, we would know some of these kids who may need some services outside of that. And a lot of the people in the help me grow and whatnot would start making some referrals and start making sure that their service is linked for after that, which I also think is really helpful for parents. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in preschool, there's a lot of this weighing of how much of this is a stage versus how much of this is something I need to worry about. And I see that so much. I'm wondering if you see that a lot with babies and toddlers too. Yeah, I would say, and and the other part of it is development changes really quickly. And so it was funny, I had done a post because somebody said my daughter is like 33 months and they're not using sentences or how can I encourage sentences? And then somebody in the comments was like, wait, why are they using the label of 33 months? Why not say this kid's two years old or three years old? Why are you labeling it by months? And I I meant to do a follow-up saying, well, that's Months are important because development can change so fast that if you look at a child that has just turned one to a child that's at the end of year one, it's completely different things that we would expect. So talking about months is important because, yeah, that development can turn so fast. So especially with language development, I've had kids, too, before where it's like, 
we start seeing them and because they qualified. And there have been times where I've exited in a month or two because you know what? It just happened. They started talking. And so sometimes it's really hard to tell whether something's just developmentally and that it's that own child kind of road or if they actually need the extra support. With yeah. me starting services once a week, was that what made the difference? Probably not. If a kid's exiting a month or two, it was probably they just weren't ready. We have a lot of good information that we can get with evaluations and tools and things like that. But ultimately, some of it does just come down to when that child is on their path to meet whatever milestone. Yeah. You know, we can do things to support, but there's also that other portion of it too, I think. Yeah. There's so much development going on in these young kids that just the change is like that sometimes. Right. It's you turn around and you're like, why aren't they walking? I have a friend and their daughter, like, she does not want to crawl. She refused to crawl. But then they turn around and all of a sudden she's running everywhere. So if we just focused on this crawling milestone, then we'd be like, oh, something's wrong. But then we look at, you know, a few months later and she's walking around everywhere. The same thing happens in preschool intervention. Sometimes it's you're working with this child and they're having problems with these emotions and these tantrums. And then you do a few interventions for a few weeks and all of a sudden they're a different kid. And it's just amazing how fast that change happens. And I think that just shows how important that early intervention really can be. Definitely. So you mentioned earlier, you have five to 10 books maybe that you highly like. If you had to name a couple of those... What would be the ones that you would name? Okay, so this one I'm obsessed with, and it's actually sitting right right next to me. And I'm not even done. That's a good sign. I'm I'm only on, and I think this is one you've actually read. I think you had read it probably around the same time. I just haven't touched it yet. This one, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen. Absolutely love it. And this goes right along with that expectation of kids. We expect them to be little adults, but they're not little adults. They are kids and their brains work differently. And I was just thinking, I was like, oh, I got to make a TikTok because this morning, like we need to get ready and getting dressed, asking your children to get dressed doesn't always go great. Sometimes they don't want to get dressed. They want to do other things. Like, no, we're not going to get dressed. They start running around. And so this morning was one of those mornings where it's like, okay, we need to get dressed. What can I do? And so I actually said, you guys, we got to get dressed for the parade. And they're like, oh, the parade. And so they went and got dressed. And then like, all I did was we went downstairs and I like looked up like parade circus music. And I turned on a two minute song and we marched around the living room pretending that we were like animals or something. But you know what? It got them dressed. There was no fight. They had a great time doing it. They will probably ask for more parades. And we avoided that confrontation of it's time to get dressed right now because kids will learn to do that stuff. Like I don't always have to do that stuff. You know, a lot of times they get dressed just fine, but every now and then, you know, it's, it, and it makes it fun for them. And it, I had a good time. It was fun watching them, but it goes to that expectation. We expect them to say something and for them to do it right now, but they're kids. Like they have so much going on in their mind. They're exploring, they're doing stuff. So if we can twist it a little bit, and that's one of the big things from this book is you just learn about looking at things through their eyes a little bit more, I feel like, and turning Instead of getting angry about things, how can we problem solve? How can we make things a little bit more fun? So yeah, this, and I'm not through it yet, has been, I think it's a wonderful book. Yes. And I don't know if you read the original too, but there's a version of that, um, which is, I think she's the daughter of the original Mm -hmm. author. Yes. And for those who are not seeing this video, that would be how to talk so little kids listen. 
Yes, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen. Yes, it is a fantastic book. I I haven't finished mine yet either. I'm probably about halfway through, but I think it's great. And it gives a lot of examples like you're talking about, these fun ways to try and roll with that resistance rather than hitting that power struggle head on. Yeah, it's just super actionable too. And that's what I've loved about this book. And that's where it's like, I haven't felt like I needed to just sit down and read it cover to cover. Like I'm slowly working my way through it, trying things out, what works and seeking it out for strategies. So that one's at the top of my list. And now if I can remember any of the names of anything else, like my brain's just full. I also just finished a really good one. There's no such thing as bad weather. I think it's called. I haven't heard of that one. It's really good. It's basically a Swedish mom who she grew up in Sweden and she moved to Indiana actually. And she noticed a very big difference in how kids, the outdoor time. And anyways, I mean, she talks about, and I grew up in North Dakota. So I relate to this because I see this in Indiana where it's like, if it's 30 degrees, people are like, I'm not going outside where I grew up in North Dakota and it's negative 30 in blizzards and we're still outside playing because that's just life up there. Like nothing Oof. stops for snow. Rough. Okay. Schools don't <laughs> shut down. And so it's like, I related to this mom and I'm like, yeah, I need to get back into like my North Dakota childhood and, you know, get my kids outside because they need it. And so that book, I just love because it really talks about the getting kids outside and the benefits of that, especially from a sensory standpoint. And there again, knowing about that physical development and how much they need to move and explore to get our expectations of what we should be expecting inside, indoors. Kids need to get outside. They need to move. And it was just a really cool book. It was a fun read. So that one I just finished recently too. I love it. I wrote that down because I'm going to have to look into that one. I think that's what it's called. I can't even think of the author's name. That was another one that was like, oh. I'm sure if I Google it, we'll find it. Yeah. 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 Great. Because I'm always looking for new books that (laughs) are great. And I think, again, it helps to know different resources from people who... Mm -hmm are educated in the field who know, hey, this is coming from a pretty good place, right? Yeah. Because all of my training is in preschool kids. And mm-hmm. as I'm entering into the world of babyhood, yeah. that for me, it's finding different people who can help me understand better mm-hmm. what should be going on and all of that, yeah. which is why, again, I love your TikToks because they help me with that. <laughs> and I don't know if you've read this one, Tina Payne Bryson just put out a book. She's written a lot of books with Dan Siegel. I don't know if you've heard of No Drama Discipline or The Whole Brain Child. They're that one I have books. heard of. Okay. That has been on my list forever and I still have not read it. It's it is a great book. Oh, uh, I, I, yes. I think I read that one through Audible. So okay. yeah, great book. But Tina Payne Bryson then kind of did her own book and it's about child development or baby okay. development. So it talks about things like co-sleeping and feeding and all of that stuff. And it digs into the research to help people say, all right, so this is what the public opinion is. And this is what the research really says about that. Interesting. So that people can understand some of this stuff has valid reasons that we should not do this. But a lot of this stuff is it's up to your parent preference and your family preference. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, and that's why I don't do a lot of like sleep stuff on my TikToks or I do some feeding, but have you ever read Brene Brown, Dare to Lead, I think is this called? Mm -hmm. And she talks about that exact same thing where there are certain things in parenting where it's really up to that family preference and personal preference. And yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I dug into the sleeping last week and I posted a video and you can see just the the comments are 
here or here. And yeah. it can become a pretty toxic place if you're not careful. <laughs> you know, and it's like, for me, like sleep, you know, I had the background I did and sleep has been the biggest struggle with both of my kids. So that's like a pain point for me. And it didn't go at all how I thought. And actually both of my kids had their tonsils and adenoids removed in August because they were having sleep apnea. I mean, we're talking, they were up every two hours well past the first year. I mean, that's how bad. And I remember having doctors tell me, doctors say with my daughter when she was eight months old and she's up all night long and I'd bring her and I'd be like, something's wrong. Um, can you, I need help. And she'd be this happy little bubbly baby. And then he's like, you just need to give her tough love. There's nothing wrong with her. She's, you need to give her tough love. And then he would look into her ears and say, oh, she has a raging double ear infection and, you know, eight teeth coming in. And so it was like, then he changed. Okay. Okay. Maybe you know, it's like, right. so sleep is hard too, because there's so much they can't communicate. And my daughter would never have a fever never was really cranky during the day. The only thing is we could not lay her down at night. We literally had to hold her elevated because she would scream in pain when we would lay her in her crib. Uh-huh. And she had nonstop ear infections from like five months old until she got tubes at 15 months. Oof. And then we still struggled after that. This wasn't a story I was planning on telling, but my son too, horrible sleeping. It was just awful, 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 awful. And then, yeah, we ended up taking them both to an ENT because of the sleep. And, and they said, well, you know, we can't tell you 100% sure if this will help or not. But their tonsils look mildly inflamed. They never had like histories of being sick a lot or anything. But they're like, but because of the symptoms that you're describing, they're both waking up frequently, lots of night terrors. My son's now sleepwalking. So now we've got to look oh, no. at that. Yeah, that's getting, <laughs> sorry, it's another story. <laughs> and so he said, based on symptoms, you know, I would recommend doing it. So we did it. And they took out the ton- tonsils on both of them and adenoids on the same day. <laughs> and he said, yes, those tonsils were huge. You couldn't see it by just looking because you can't actually see until you get them out. They were infected and nasty looking tonsils. And like my daughter, she sleeps so much better now, so much better. And my son, like I said, we're still figuring that out, but it's one of those things where it's hard. And that was my experience. Not everybody's going to have that traumatic of an experience where you're literally not sleeping for five years. It was, it's that bad. Like, I mean, I'm just now starting to get sleep probably since about October and my kids are five and three. Like I'm just starting to get a full night's sleep again. And five it's years. Five years. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you don't expect that when you're going no. into parenthood. You say, oh, six months, I can do that. Or a year even. I'm thinking like when, a year, right? Like, yeah. Well, and that's like, when my daughter, when we have my sleep. daughter, I thought she won't be as bad as my son. There's no way she's going to be as bad as a sleeper. And then it was like even worse. And it was just like, oh my gosh, what, you know? <laughs> and yeah, so then they ended up both. And my daughter, we, we saw a huge difference in her altogether when she got those removed. And my son too, he started sleeping better. And now just recently we're having some new issues. But anyways, I didn't plan on telling that whole story. My sleep I think problems, it's a great story. And there's a lot of, again, there's a lot yeah. of nuggets in there. I'm curious, did you have to go to the doctor a couple times before you got them to say, oh, well, hey, there is actually something going on here? So for my daughter, it was really frustrating because I think she started getting ear infections about five months old and I'd bring her in and I think round three and she's like a year. And I was like, Hey, I'd really like to see an ENT. 
I'm scared that this is going to affect her hearing because my background, you know, I've done hearing tests. I know everything there is about that. And he, the doctor kind of brushed me off and he's like, well, it's not going to affect her hearing. She's fine. I said, no, no, no. I really want that referral. Please give me a referral to an ENT. Sure enough, she kept having the ear infections, brought her to the ENT. Yes, let's put tubes in her. And it's not always a magic cure for everybody, but she was also having hearing loss. They did a hearing test on her. And at 15 months old, it's even funny because sometimes doctors won't think that the fluid being in the ears at 15 months won't make a difference, but it makes a huge difference. And I have clients that I see too, where it's like, we really have to push sometimes to get those referrals to an ENT, mm-hmm. which surprises me because hearing tests are easy to do in kids and even putting tubes in was easy. So we did that. And then she stopped getting ear infections, but the sleeping stuff continued with her until she got her tonsils and adenoids out. And she was also like a chronic thumb sucker. It's like, she would just sit in your lap and suck all day. That was the other thing. I was like, she just doesn't seem like she's resting. Uh-huh. And so it took, she was actually already in the ENT. So it was easier to get her to look at my son. I finally, he was <laughs> three, four, he was four. And I had to push with doctors with him to kind of get him referred to ENT. I'm like, he's four years old. And he's still waking up all night long. Is that normal? Can, can we get some help? Well, go ahead, go check to the ENT. And then we got that referral, but the ENT and we, I was nervous about getting their tonsils out. So I got a second opinion too, because check all the bases and sure. he said the exact same thing. So we did it, even though I was very nervous about it, but yeah, I've had families where getting those referrals from doctors is really hard. And that when I worked up in North Dakota, Minnesota, I did a lot more of the kind of being able to advocate in a doctor's office for families. And there's a lot of great doctors out there. I'm not saying anything like, I hope doctors don't listen to them. They're like, oh, geez. but they see a lot of patients a day. Yeah, You know, I can't imagine how hard that is to only get five, 10 minutes with a person that make a big decision. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah. I, I think you, you make a great point. And I don't know if you know, my wife is a pediatrician. So didn't know um, that. Oh my yeah, goodness. Okay. Uh, our, oh, cool. our poor child, right? A doctor for a mom and then a therapist. Wow. Dad. So that. poor, poor kid. But can I ask yeah. you some questions? No, I'm Absolutely. I'm, I'm trying to convince her. She is not very in love with the idea of being on video, but I'm hoping to get her one point to come on here. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah. But yeah, she talks about how in the field of doctoring, it's, it's the same thing in the mental health world. It's yeah. there's a lot of focus because there's a business mindset on it. A lot of like business CEOs now are running a lot of these companies and it's a big push on you have to see as many people as you can, yeah. right? And that goes into your pay. And I know when I was in community mental health, it was the same way. You're expected to see this many hours of patients yeah. every day or clients, we call them. And if you don't, then it can lead into almost losing your job. It's like a write-up for this if you don't hit it. So anyway, doctors, they do have, they have this pressure and they have to try and make these decisions immediately on very little information. And I think yeah. that's where being a mom, especially in your case, it's like, Hey, I know something's wrong here and something is just, isn't right. And I have to kind of keep bringing this up in order to get them the help they need. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I don't think that it's, you know, bad talking doctors. I think it's just being realistic on the, on the environment of what it is. They have a lot to do and things get missed and you know early intervention too you know it's no nobody's perfect none of these systems are perfect things get missed and that's why hopefully we can all kind of help each other and yes. things get referrals to different services and get kids the health they need or adults 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's the same thing in in the world of of mental health and young kids because it's such a blossoming field that it's still hard for some people to understand that yeah. a three-year-old can have anxiety. And some doctors, I think it's becoming more known, just aren't aware of that. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. No, I totally get that too. Cause birth to three early interventions, that's only been around since like the eighties, I think. And don't quote me on that, but I think part C was started in the eighties. So it's like, yeah. it hasn't been a long and people do too think, well, they're just a baby. They'll do it, you know, but there's a lot of research behind this stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know in 2021, we say the 80s. Well, that's what, 40 years ago, but still that's early in these yeah. kind of fields. It is. Yeah. That's not a long time. When you think about, you know, other fields and special education and even special education is a newer field when we think about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I have a couple more things I kind of want to cover. And one of the big ones is I get this question a lot and I'm just curious of your thoughts on it. How do you think the pandemic and kids being stuck inside is going to be impacting them in the long run? So it's a big question. It is a big question. And obviously anything I say is just an observation. I think as a parent having to go through it too, and as a professional, it's been interesting being on TikTok because I've connected with a lot of people in different states who are having trouble getting access to service. And maybe you've seen that too. So I think that's not a great thing. I did too recently read a news story on them talking about how much young children look at the mouth to learn how to speak and to do language development, which I'm very aware of. So if a kid's at home with their parents, you're probably not going to see much of an impact there. But our kids that are still going to childcare centers where people are wearing masks all day, uh, there might be an impact there. Now, I hadn't thought of that. That's a really yeah, interesting point. I had thought about it, but it was interesting to read the article. Because you see that, and I guess in preschools, they're already talking, so that's not necessarily, but in the, you know, like infant, daycares, toddler, yeah. childcare settings, most of them are wearing masks. And that is a big part of imitation is being able to watch the mouth and to imitate. Hmm. So, and it's harder to read facial cues. So then you look at that. Yeah. So babies and infants and toddlers and even preschoolers, it's hard for me to read facial cues without, Absolutely. you know, so you wonder about that. And then when I look at my own parenting, I think it's that... <laughs> the mental health of parents in this stage and how many of us, you know, like with me, we don't have any help here. We have no family here. We have no preschool anymore. We didn't now we could probably just start putting them back in. And, but so when you're with your kids 24 seven and you're just trying to get by, I think it's just, I don't even know how to describe that. Like it's, screen time probably has gone up. I think that is something like, and I I don't want to like, I know people hate when you say anything bad about screen time. I follow the AAP guidelines the best I can with screen time, but in the pandemic, have my kids gotten maybe more possibly because they're going to have to make that choice. Like, okay, I'm feeling upset. I have no help. Is it okay to let them watch an extra hour of TV so I can do X, Y, Z? It's like, you're making those choices and neither of them are, are great options. But that will be interesting. I'm sure most people, their screen time has gone up. And there are studies that link to language development, things like that being with too much screen time can cause issue. And it's because kids aren't doing other activities that they need for development. Also, it's a lot of receiving information without that interplay between two people. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was something I've thought about too, is a lot of us are using more screen time because... 
As far as the babies and toddlers, though, I think maybe some good things that have come out is maybe they are spending more time with their parents, which can be a really good thing unless the parents under a lot of stress where they're working from home, they're doing childcare at the same time, which is really hard. That's kind of what we've been doing. Mm-hmm. Me and my husband were both working from home and we have two kids that we're trying to raise and trying to balance all that is really, really stressful. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's as far really as hard. social interaction stuff, like I feel like a lot of people are worried about that. Like both of my kids, they haven't been interacting with anybody until recently we've started to let other people back into our bubble. I haven't seen my parents, or my aunt or my sister or brother, anyone in almost it'll be two years in August. Mm. I haven't seen any of that. My kids haven't seen their grandparents, you know, and stuff. So that stuff's all really hard because we're across the country from each other. How will that impact relationships? You know, there's so much. It will be interesting to see what does all impact because. Right. I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of an experiment at this point. I think everybody's just doing the best they can. Yeah. Yeah. And which is all we really can do. I think mm-hmm. parents are dealing with the stress of having to be Everything. parents and work. And I was reading the other day, people at work are being expected to work even more because they're working at home. So yeah. the boundaries are blending now, which makes it harder for them. And then we have all this stuff going on with kids who are also, who need that social interaction and can't get it. Our services. Yeah. Also, you know, I mean, I'm sure you're aware of that too, all of the numbers as far as abuse and addiction and all those numbers are, and we know that's going to have an impact on children too, which is yeah. scary and sad. Right. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I like that you put that strength spin on it too, where yes, there's also the benefit that we are getting yeah. a little bit more time. You know, in the in my own parenting, I was definitely the mom who let's go places. <laughs> I don't like to be at home. So I'm a stay-at-home mom, but I also work part-time. And so I was definitely a mom who was, let's go to the museum, let's go to the park, let's go here, let's go there. I didn't like to hang out at home with my kids. So this was a hard transition for me. But I will say, over the last year, we pretty much stayed home. And it did make me realize as parents, like, okay, we don't have to be going 24-7 it's okay to stay home. I'm starting to see my kids play more imaginary. We're just outside more. We're going to hike more. So yeah, there's definitely that flip side of it too, where there's some real positives. Like I do feel like I, as mom, I don't have to be going all the time. Let's slow down life. And if anything, I think that's the one thing, but yeah, it's been really hard. And I think parents are just exhausted. If you're a parent and you have no support and you're with your kids 24 seven, it's just exhausting and you're just trying to do the best. And that's where right now, and gosh, there's a really good article and I can't think of who it was, or I think it was, I don't know. I can't remember, but they were talking about, we just don't have good options right now. Like it's either put your kid in front of the screen or lose your temper with them or put your kid in front of the screen or get something clean. Like it's, it's hard because there's no help anymore. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, not great choices to make, you know? Right. And it's just, I see that, that breath, like <sighs> I feel that anxiety of it. Yeah. It's hard. It's been hard. Yeah. And another benefit there. And I think you, it might've been you that made a post on it. I don't remember, but about boredom and boredom can oh, yeah. really help kids. And we need kids to be bored a little bit. And tablets are a great way to avoid having to deal with. Yes. Boredom. 
but it's also a great way to learn how to deal with that feeling and uh-huh. it increases creativity and that imaginary play and curiosity. Yes. Yes. I did just do. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I thought, I thought it was you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We definitely, we think we need to entertain and do certain crafts and activities and stuff all day. And I think that's one thing I've learned from early intervention is it's not necessarily those activities that really teach kids. It's those little things. And that's what I'm super passionate about. And that's what I learned in my training was looking at the daily routines and embedding interventions that way and ways to learn because of that repetitive practice. It doesn't add stress on the parent. Mm -hmm. It makes those routines that are sometimes very, you know, changing a diaper, doesn't seem exciting, but if you can make an interaction versus just changing the diaper and being done with it and walking through it, hey, if we sing a song during it, think of, you know, you do that every diaper change, whether you've got a newborn where you're doing them 12 a day or even, a, right. you know, an older baby at six a day, that's a lot of language. That's a lot of bonding just by adding a little bit of something that you're already doing instead yeah. of all of the, because there's this, a huge need for parents that they want activities like that's the most asked question I get is uh-huh. I need activity ideas. And it's like, I don't have any for you. This is, this is how I do it at my house. And this is how I've been doing it very much into the, including them in daily routines, even cooking and stuff like that laundry. And then on those caregiving routines too, adding things that way as well. Yeah. Going back to your roots can be a great way to help kids mm-hmm. singing songs, playing those games that we all played when we were younger playing hide and seek with your kids is it doesn't take a lot of preparation and crafts and stuff like that. But think about all the skills they're learning there. Yeah. They're learning how to count because they have to count to 10 or whatever. They're learning how to wait and be patient as they have to try and hide. Yeah. Some kids yeah. aren't very good at that. And, and they're like laughing and, and whatnot, but, and kind of give away their hiding spot because they want to be found. But there's also that interplay between two people, that connection and that attachment that they get. So there's so many things that come from just these little tiny games that we've all played forever. Yeah. And the best part of that game, which I play with my kids all the time, is it gives the parent to break. <laughs> just find yes. your good hiding spot. <laughs> hunker down. It's a way to hide. It is. Like, it's funny if you find good hiding space spots. Like, it takes them a while, but they enjoy it. And you kind of just get to take a deep breath and yeah, we do hide and seek at my house a lot. You can even just change the mood. Like if you're just all in a funk, quick, somebody hide. And then I'll just go run off. You're like, can't find me. And they, they just chase after. And there we're getting that motor play in too. We're burning that mm-hmm. energy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, small little things that just yes. make big changes. And I think that's one of the things that I think gravitated me towards your content too, is it's these small little things that yeah. can make big changes. And it's yeah. great. Yeah. All right. So last question would be if you could give parents one piece of advice, what would it be? Make mistakes. I'm with you on that. Make mistakes and know that it's okay. And that's how we learn. I feel like that's probably one of the most important things because I think that's the thing you struggle with as the most as parent is like, you're, you want to be a perfect parent. You don't want to mess up your kids. It's a very big job. And I think, you know, that was something too, I read about people that work in early childhood or that work with kids when they become parents, there's extra pressure because we know all these things, but it's unrealistic to think that we can do them 24 seven and in a perfect way. So make the mistakes and then reflect and show your kids that you make mistakes and let them be part of that process. I think too, I think so much of it is how we model things for kids too. 
Yeah. Which I think, I think is, be. that's why it's so great. I think you shared that the story you didn't plan to share yeah. about the mud is a mistake and you move forward and learn from it. And yeah. there was a lot of growth that happened because of that. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate having you on here. Yes. Thank you for having me. It was really fun to chat. Yeah. And just so everybody who isn't already following you could find you, where could they find you? Yeah. So my kind of handle that I use on Instagram and TikTok is baby.toddler.teacher. If you find me there, you can click my bio link and get links to everything else, um, my blog and everything else. Great. Thank you so much again. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Little Tots Big Talks podcast. If this episode was helpful for you, and I truly hope it was, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a review. If you are looking for more free tips, you can always pay me a visit on TikTok at Preschool Therapy, on Instagram at Preschool Therapist, or if you are looking for more in-depth information and support, consider joining my membership program. You can get more information and sign up by visiting preschooltherapist.com and click the membership link. Take care and I will see you next time.